It's my honor and my pleasure to introduce Pastor John. He is the youth pastor from Radiant Richland, and he's been here once before, and he's an awesome speaker, and I look forward to his teaching. So will you please greet Pastor John with me? Thanks, Mike. <laughs> no, all right, cool. I was going to get my music stand. Last time I didn't realize there were steps, so here we go. It's much easier. <laughs> Good to be with you guys. Uh, so grateful for the report on Jeremy as well. For those of you who don't know me, as, as Mike said, I'm uh, the youth pastor at Radiant Church in Richland. So uh, Jeremy and I have known each other for, for years. He was Pastor Lee's assistant and was mentored under Pastor Lee before he, he came here. So we've been praying for him. I know Pastor Lee and Jane were, were up here when, uh, when he had his surgery. And we were just, as Mike said, thanking God for uh, the miraculous recovery that he's experiencing and believing God for for even more. So it's a huge honor to be here for him. He's a good friend of mine. Also, uh, just looking around the room, I, Celeste, her and I have been on a mission trip uh, together. We went to Peru last year, so you can imagine how fun that was. Uh, <laughs> praise the Lord. And then I see Roxanne Johnson. Her and I have been on a mission trip together way back in 2007, so it's just really, really cool um, to be here. Uh, last time I was here, I didn't need glasses, so I'm going to hope I don't need them again, but I'm going to have them just in case I can't read. Although I guess it comes up on the screen and that's rather large, so that's good. My eyes, I turned 40 and all of a sudden I can't see anymore. Is that, are you out there? Okay, good. All right. We're going to pray real quick before we get in the word. Father, we love you. And God, I just, as we were singing, as we were worshiping, as they were on this stage, God, I just thought about, Lord, this is, this is a movie theater, God. This is where people come to be entertained, but God, we're, we're here lifting high the name of Jesus Christ. And God, I just pray that, that Lord, even as people come in here and, and watch movies, God, that there would just be a residue of your anointing, of your power, of, of the worship that we've lifted up, God. You're not confined to walls. You're not confined to buildings. I'm so thankful for, for Pastor Jeremy and this amazing church and, and the, the work they're doing here for the Lord, God, for the kingdom, to see, God, your kingdom come and your will be done in Ann Arbor as it is in heaven, God. So it's an honor to be here. We thank you for your presence. I pray right now, God, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, open and soften every single heart to receive from you. God, you said that your word is not like any other book, God. It's alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, God. It discerns the thoughts and the intents of our heart, God. So let your word speak to us today. God, let your Holy Spirit speak to us today. Bring freedom, God. Bring freedom to this place. Lord, your presence brings freedom into our lives, and we thank you for that. We honor your presence in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Uh, my beautiful wife and children are here, too. I forgot. They weren't with me last time, so I was making sure that... Can, kids, can you see over the chairs? They can? Okay. Good. They were a little worried about that. Uh, <clears throat> if you brought your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6. This, what we're going to talk about today is is important, and I know it's something we've all heard about, um, talked about, and, and, and obviously have been involved in. So it's called, As We Forgive Our Debtors. And we're going to read the Lord's Prayer together. If you turn to Matthew chapter 6, Matthew's account, and let's start in verse 9. And so Jesus, this is the very famous Sermon, sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And uh, Jesus just got done telling us how not to pray, basically. He's talking to the people, and he's saying, look, you don't have to, 
You don't have to do it for show. It's not a public spectacle. You don't have to just repeat the same thing over and over. It's not, a, uh, it's not about a chant or anything like that. And then he gives us this model prayer in Matthew chapter 6. And he says this, in, the manner, in this manner, therefore, pray. He says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Verse 14, he goes on to say, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So we, here we have a model prayer, and it's kind of, I don't know that it was necessarily presented to the disciples as, as to pray verbatim, but maybe you've heard teaching on it before where you kind of can take sections. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We enter into God's courts with praise and with thanksgiving. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. Talk about intercession. We ask about petition uh, prayer where we ask God for things in our lives. And then he says, and forgive us our debts or our sins. I grew up in a church where we recited the Lord's Prayer every week and the Apostles' Creed. So I knew this prayer by heart. And I know some of you are, are forgive us our debts people. Others are forgive us our trespasses. So I was a debtor's guy, so that's why we have this translation up here. But, but we realize that the crux, the center of the gospel of Jesus Christ is forgiveness. We read this, and forgive us our debts. And, and everyone is familiar, I think, with that aspect, hopefully, of Christianity that we need to be forgiven. We've been separated uh, by God, by our sins, by our transgressions, and we're born with it, which is why Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, if you want to experience, if you want to see, if you want to partake in the kingdom of God, you have to be born. Again, you have to be born of the Spirit, too. And that involves us recognizing our need for forgiveness, recognizing that we aren't perfect, recognizing that we can't save ourselves. Our best efforts are never going to be good enough. Isaiah calls them filthy rags. So we have this, this prayer that says, look, we need forgiveness in our life. And then he goes on to say, but we also are called to forgive our debtors. And that's what I want to focus on this morning as we look at God's word. Is what does forgiveness for us look like in a horizontal fashion, if you will? All of us, I think, understand the vertical aspect of forgiveness, as I said. We all need forgiveness. Um, and we recognize that it's from God and that no one else is perfect. No one else is holy. That's why we, we sing God's holy. It's why we sing God's worthy is because he is. He's not like us. So we recognize, look, we have a holy God who never makes mistakes. He never sins. He's perfect in all of his ways. He created us and we need forgiveness from him. So we ask for forgiveness, but sometimes it's much more difficult to take on the other part of this verse in Scripture that says, and forgive your debtors as you've been forgiven. Because now we're, we're into the horizontal, if you will, aspect of forgiveness. So no longer are we dealing with a perfect, infinite, all-powerful God. Now we're dealing with people like you and I, people who aren't perfect, people who make mistakes, people who hurt us, people who do things to us. And the expectation as a Christian still is that we offer that forgiveness to others. So it's different. It, it's, it's more incumbent now upon us and not upon God. It's not the Father's forgiveness, it's our forgiveness. I remember when I was probably about nine or ten years old, <clears throat> I had a friend, 
Kevin Peters, I'll just say his name, I hope this is recorded because it's all his fault that that happened. Anyway, his name was Kevin Peters, he came over and we, we played together, that was back in the day when you used to like play with each other and do things outside and, and not have video games, anyway, stuff like that. So, he came over and we started playing war because that's what boys do, you know, you get into conflict uh, after a little while. So, we had these giant walnut trees in our backyard and they had these awesome huge walnuts. Well, those became like our bullets and our grenades and so we're in this like heat of battle. Well, of course, that's again what boys do is things, you know, war escalates. It gets, it gets a little more intense. So we decided we, we need hostages. So we pretended that there were hostages in the garage and we had to free these hostages with our newfound walnut grenades. So against all good judgment and sound wisdom, uh, we threw these grenades into the garage through the garage windows um, from the outside in. So our garage had like four windows on each side. We systematically <laughs> destroyed every single window uh, in an attempt to free these hostages. <clears throat> and because you're not thinking, you know, in the heat of battle. So all the, the garage windows are broken from the outside in. The war's over. Hostages are freed. We're doing like our Rambo high five kind of a thing. And then all of a sudden, you know, it dawns on us, this is bad. Um, and God bless Kevin Peters. You know, he gets to go home. <laughs> He's like, I think my mom's calling me for dinner. So he, <laughs> he takes off, and I'm stuck there with this carnage, uh, thinking, oh, no, what am I going to do when, when my dad gets home? You know, that's the greatest fear of any nine-year-old boy is dad's going to be home soon. It's summertime. Thankfully, I was the youngest of five children, so I had <coughs> older siblings who I'm convinced to this day were still looking out the window, probably cheering me on, you know, yes, John's going to get in trouble. Break the windows. <laughs> So my, my next oldest sister, Jane, closest to me, she's like two years older, she comes out to, to comfort me, and she's like, you're dead. Dad's going to kill you when he gets home. I know. So, you know, you have that, that f couple hours, it seems like a lifetime waiting, and my dad got home. And I share this story because I was really surprised that it went over pretty well. I mean, my dad got home, and of course, you know, I'm like, Dad, I'm so sorry. There was a war, you know, while you were at work <laughs> with hostages. And, and so I had explained to him, and, and, you know, my dad wasn't excited about it by any means, but he, he, he said, look, you made a mistake, and we cleaned up the mess, and we got on a payment plan. I think about three more years I'll have those windows paid for. And, <laughs> and it was, I felt like it was the first time in my life that I really experienced grace. I really experienced forgiveness on a level that was different than like just with your siblings when you're mad at them or something like I really was in like a fear like I'd never been in before and my father my dad showed me grace like any good dad would he said you know look it's not great idea but I forgive you and let's not do that again and da 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 so so for me that was like my first kind of like experience with this grace and it really has helped me even in my Christian life to to think back about that, but the difficulty comes when we have to forgive other people. Um, and so I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. It's different to forgive others than it is to have your sins. Forgiveness. So I want to, I want to read what I feel like is a wonderful um, story that encapsulates all that forgiveness is. And it's in verse 21 of Matthew 18. It says this, Then Peter came to Jesus. He just got done talking about forgiving your brothers. 
And he said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Now, you hear this, and I want you to know immediately that Peter did not say up to seven times because he thought that was going to be a low number. Peter, if you know anything about him when you read in Scripture, was probably thinking Jesus was going to be like, whoa, seven times? That's amazing, Peter. I was thinking two, maybe three times. I mean, that's, that's what Peter's thinking in his head. He's thinking, watch this, other disciples. I'm going to impress Jesus big time. And he says, how often should I forgive? Up to seven times? And then Jesus said to him, I don't say to you seven, but up to 70 times seven. And then I'm assuming Peter's quiet after that. And then verse 23, he goes on to tell a story. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle these accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had so that payment could be made. And the servant fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And the master of that servant moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid his hands on him and he took him by his throat and he said, pay me what you owe. And so his fellow servant fell down to his feet and he begged him saying, have patience with me and I'll pay you all. And he would not. And he threw him into prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were grieved. And they came and told their master. And the master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not therefore have had compassion on your fellow servant as I had on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. Verse 35, Jesus says, So my heavenly Father will do to each of you if you from your heart do not forgive your brother his trespasses. <clears throat> it's kind of a heavy story, but a servant comes to the king. The servant is us. The king is God. And the Bible says he owes him 10,000 talents. And that doesn't mean a whole lot to us today because we don't work for talents. We think of talents as like tap dancing or playing the piano or something. You know, I have all these talents. Well, 10,000, a talent was a year's wage for a laborer. One year. So let's say you make $20,000 a year 10,000 talents would be somewhere in the region of $200 million. So it's an astronomical amount. I have no idea how a servant gets that indebted, but he was. And he obviously could not pay. And so he falls down, the Bible says, and he, and he begs. And he says, have mercy on me, have patience, and I will pay you all. And verse 27, this is what I want you to see. Then the master of the servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. Released him and forgave him the debt. When you think about forgiving other people, I want you to think in the context of forgiveness being a decision to release someone from a debt. That's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is not an emotion, although it can be emotional. In its core, forgiveness is a decision to release someone from a debt because that's why forgiveness and forgiving other people is so difficult, even for Christians, is because you feel as if something's been taken from you. A debt has incurred when somebody does something to you that needs forgiveness. Something's been taken from you. And it can be a number of things. It can be your reputation. Somebody says something about you that's not true. Someone spreads lies <clears throat> about you. Someone puts something on the internet that's not true. All of a sudden, it, it, something's been taken from you. Your reputation. Maybe your ability to trust has been taken from you. you I, I worked with a guy for a long time who was involved in one of those Ponzi schemes um, and lost all of his retirement. He was 
in his late 60s, hundreds of thousands of dollars um, through a friend who, who led him to that. And so he lost everything. And we had to walk through what forgiveness looked like, what forgiving himself, what his wife forgiving him, and, and all of these steps, because something had been taken from him. I work with young people. I work with teenagers. So many of them have suffered through divorces or absent fathers or parents who aren't there, and they literally feel like, like their childhood, like some of their upbringing has been taken from them. There's a debt that's incurred, and I've seen young men struggle with forgiving their dad, forgiving their parents. Could be your innocence. Talk to victims of rape, victims of sexual assault or molestation who have something taken from them that can never be given back. It's awful. It's awful. And so a debt is incurred. And so when you forgive, you are making a decision to say, I'm going to release you from that. And it's important that you realize that because you don't just forgive people who deserve it. You can't, you can't, it's great if somebody comes to you and they're sorry and they feel bad and they say, I wish I hadn't, I wish I could turn back time, whatever they say, that's fantastic if that happens. But even if it doesn't happen, the responsibility of every Christian is still to forgive. Ephesians 4, 32, well in verse 31, Paul says to lay aside bitterness, anger, wrath, clamor, evil speaking. He says all these things that, that shouldn't be a part of a Christian's life. And then in verse 32, he says, and be kind to one another tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. That's the mandate for every single Christian. is not to forgive those who are sorry, not to forgive those who you feel like, okay, could be forgiven because it wasn't that big of a deal. You forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. So anytime, guys, that we make a decision or we decide not to forgive someone, it's always because we're focusing more on what was done to us instead of what was done for us Amen. in Jesus Christ. That's the reality. And we can make excuses and we can say it's too hard, they were, they were wrong, and that may very well be, but the reality is, if you've been forgiven by God, you're called to forgive other people. Amen. And that's a decision. It's not just a feeling. It's not, doesn't necessarily, feelings hopefully will follow. But you don't even have to feel like forgiving somebody. So I just want to take a couple minutes and talk about what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not minimizing what happened. When you choose to forgive someone for whatever they may have done to you, it doesn't mean that what they did wasn't a big deal. And I've talked to people in my office, I've been in ministry for over 10 years, who still have things in their lives that they will not let go of that happened 10, 20, 30 years earlier in their lives. I talked with a woman in my office who has not spoken with her sister in over a decade because they refused to forgive each other. And, and her response was, you don't know what she did to me. You don't understand how much that hurt. You don't understand what that did to our family. You don't understand. And all of these things. And she feels like, and many times we feel like, as soon as we extend forgiveness, we've minimized what happened. We think it's then it's not a big deal, or it didn't really hurt us, or it wasn't as traumatic. And, and so the enemy tells us you have to hang on to that unforgiveness. You can't let that go, because otherwise, man, it doesn't even seem like anything happened in your life. When I, I was not a Christian as a young man. I worked in restaurant management before I came into ministry. And so 
uh, I'd been at the restaurant for a long time, and I gave my heart to the Lord in 1999 at the church that I serve at right now. Um, and it was pretty traumatic. Uh, I was involved in a lot of things that I shouldn't have been, drugs and alcohol and that whole partying lifestyle. And, and everybody knew that, that I worked with. And I, and I had a, a dramatic conversion to the Lord. And I really tried hard to go back to work and be a light and shine and show the love of Christ and be different. So I was getting ready to go to Bible school, and I remember there was this young man, his name was Sean. He was about 18, 17, 18 years old, uh, just graduated high school, and, and him and I played tennis together. And um, I was, he was interested. I don't know that he was a Christian, but he was interested, and he would ask me a lot of questions about the Bible and <clears throat> things like that. So we, just, we had a relationship. We both played tennis. So we were sitting down between sets one time, uh, and he asked me this question. He said, John, he said, who goes to hell? And he'd never asked me really anything like that. I said, well, the reality, Sean, is that the Bible teaches that all of us deserve, deserve hell because of our sin, because we're separated from God. So that's why we need Jesus. Jesus becomes a bridge, if you will, between us and God. He's a mediator. <clears throat> and he took, he took our sin for us. And uh, he said told me a story, and, and I'd, I'd heard about it before, but his, he had a younger sister who was about 12 at the time, and she was mentally handicapped, and she was walking back from school in their neighborhood, and a, cutting through some yards, someone who lived there, an old gentleman, took her um, and brought her into his house, and, and he assaulted her. Uh, sexually assaulted her and she managed to escape and run home and so there was a trial and Sean had to be involved in that and uh, obviously devastating to their family and, and so Sean in this moment tells me the story and then he, and he looks at me and he says he says John I, I want him to go to hell is what he said and uh, you know it was tough tough to empathize tough to to, to say, oh, well, you know, you should just forgive. It, you know, it was not a, an easy conversation whatsoever. And so it's so weird, too, because I can remember clearly sitting down with him and, and talking about this. And so I just talked to him. I said, look, Sean, forgiving that man, and I get it, isn't going to be easy. And, and you may never feel like, like forgiving him. Uh, and it's not going to change things. It's not going to turn back time and, and make it so that didn't happen. Not, none of that's possible anymore. But I'm telling you, Sean, what forgiveness is going to do is it's, it's going to help you. It, it's going to release you. It's going to help free you. And, and, and it has really nothing to do with, with the other person. Um, it's releasing him from that. And, so, and he looked at me and he said something to the effect of, well, if I, if I, if I forgive him, then he wins. Or, or something along those lines. I mean, just this mindset that that as soon as I do that, if I'm able to make that decision, then, then somehow they have the upper hand. And that's something the enemy tells us. And so I just encouraged them. I said, hey, just pray, Sean, listen. And, and we've heard it said before that sometimes we look at unforgiveness as drinking poison and then expecting the other person to die. That's what, that's what unforgiveness really is. It, it's not about the other person. It's about us. And so it's not minimizing what happened, but it's also not a license to trust again. That's not what forgiveness is either. You're, 
If somebody hurts you, if someone takes advantage of you, you don't have to let that person back into your life, back into the fold. You can have parameters. You can have borders in your life. It's not like you have to be best friends or anything like that. You're simply releasing them from what they did to you. You're releasing a debt that they've incurred. And so it's okay, because I've had people, again, come in my office going through divorces and stuff. Well, do I have to... You know, he did this to my, to my kids or something. And it's like, no, you don't, you don't have to put your kids back in that situation. That's not what forgiveness is. That's not even wise. So it's not a, a license to trust again. It's also not a sign of weakness. Again, many people think that, that if I forgive, I've somehow shifted, shifted the priority or I've, I've, made, I've given them an advantage now if I forgive. And let me just say to us as Christians, you never look more like Jesus Christ than when you forgive someone ever, especially someone who doesn't deserve forgiveness. Our Lord and Savior hung on a cross, had never done anything wrong, had never committed sin, was reviled, was beaten, was whipped, was scorned, was spit upon, and his last words were, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. That's, that's what Jesus did for us. Yeah. That's the forgiveness that's been extended to us, and it's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. It's a sign of, of surrender. It takes enormous faith and trust to forgive someone who's taken advantage of you. It's not, and that's why when people say to me, oh, Christianity is a crutch for weakness, it's, just, it's laughable for, for weak people, you know, people who can't do things themselves. It would be so much easier to just continue this cycle of revenge. Oh, you did that to me. Well, I'm going to do that to you. Oh, and now I'm going to get even with you. And, and how much easier would it be? Now, the results aren't good, but it certainly would be easier. It's not an easy thing to forgive your enemies. It's not an easy thing to love them, to pray for them, to do the things that Jesus instructed us to do as Christians. But that's what being a Christian looks like. That's, that's where the rubber hits the road if you're really going to be a Christ follower. So it's not a sign of weakness. It's an ultimate sign of strength. Here's what forgiveness does. So we looked at what it, what it isn't. Here's what forgiveness does, and I mentioned this. It frees you from bitterness and resentment. Listen, look at what it says in the story. So he's been forgiven this, this big, huge, massive amount, right? And then it says, and, and, he, and he had compassion on him. And then he says he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. 100 denarii. Now, you, may, you might not know how much that is. A denarii is is a day's wage for a laborer. So a hundred denarii would be like, if you worked for a hundred days, let's say you made 30,000 a year, this person owed you $10,000 almost. That's a lot of money. That's a significant amount. So it's not like this little teeny bit that we're asked to forgive. You know, like someone cuts you off in traffic or something, I forgive you, you know, and then, oh, look how holy I am. No, it's, it, what God is saying here is, look, people can do some pretty nasty stuff to you, people can incur some large debts when it comes to things that they do to you that require forgiveness. He says, look, he owed him 100 denarii. That's a lot. And it says when he couldn't pay, he did the same thing. We've heard this before. He said, have mercy on me and I'll pay you all. The same thing he said to the king. But he would not. Listen, it says in verse 30, and he would not. Not he could not. Sometimes you say, I can't forgive. Yes, you can. You can forgive. But he would not. And he went and he threw him into prison until he should pay the debt. Now, again, that sounds so counterintuitive. How are you going to pay a debt if you go into prison? That's why they got rid of prison debt or uh, debt prisons a long time ago. They used to exist. 
But you can't pay off a debt when someone's in prison. Now look, we don't throw people in prison anymore. But if we're honest about it, sometimes we put them in prison in our minds. You know what I'm saying? When they do something to us, it's like we see them down in the dungeons. Sometimes we go in there and we like maybe peel back their fingernails a little bit or put the screws in them. And, and we have these dungeons in our mind. And that's the bitterness and resentment that Satan wants you to hang on to when it comes to forgiveness because it will dissolve your relationship with God. Your, your vertical relationship with God cannot be genuine if you're not extending horizontal forgiveness to others. When you come to God and say, Lord, I need mercy, I need forgiveness, but then you're not extending it to other people, it's, you're going to either have a very shallow relationship with God or you're going to have to put on some sort of facade about your relationship with God. It cannot be genuine, and you'll hang on to that bitterness and resentment. The second thing is it allows room for God's justice instead of yours. This is the big this is a big rock. This is what you're saying, is you're turning something over to God. It doesn't mean what they did wasn't wrong. doesn't mean that everything has to be fine now. It means I'm not going to continue this cycle of revenge. I'm not going to, there are no vigilantes in Christianity. There is no I'm going to take care of this myself. When you make a decision to forgive, you're saying, God, I'm putting this into your hands. I'm turning this over to your justice. Listen to what it says in, in Romans chapter 12. It says, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men, as much as it is possible. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for God says, Vengeance is mine. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you heap coals of fire on his head. He said, don't repay evil for evil. That's not what we do as Christians. We forgive. We don't take justice into our own hands. We say, God, I place this into your hands. Just like our Savior said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. He had legions of angels at his disposal. All he had, and I'm sure some of them were waiting for Jesus on the cross to say, just say the word, Jesus. We'll rescue you. We'll save you. We'll come. We'll smite these people. And Jesus never did. He said, Father, forgive them. And he extended forgiveness to people who didn't necessarily deserve it, all of us. And now, we are called to forgive others in that same manner. So it allows room for God's justice. Say, God, I give this to you. And listen, it may come back into your head a bunch of times, Ugh, and Satan's going to try to get that into your head, get you to pick that offense back up, and you just keep saying, I've given that to God. I've released that. I've given that to God. You may have to repeat that every single day. And listen, feelings may follow. It may take a long time before you, you feel anything in your heart, but you do that. You do that by faith. The last thing is this. Forgiveness makes it possible for God to forgive you. Back to our story. Threw him in prison. So here's this servant who's been released a massive debt that he could never pay. And then when someone comes who owes him, it says that he grabs him by the throat and says, pay me what you owe. And then the Bible says that the servants were distraught over this, the other servants, and so they told the king. And here's the, here's the reality, is that people can do some nasty things to us. But if you've ever been forgiven by God, you cannot go around grabbing people by the throat and saying, pay me what you owe, because you've been forgiven. 
If you've never needed God's forgiveness, I guess, in theory, then you could go up to people and say, hey, pay me what you owe. But as soon as you've ever needed God to forgive you, you have to forgive other people. And listen to what it says. This is heavy. It says, Should not you also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had compassion on you? I forgave you because you begged me. I forgave all the debt that you owed. And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. Listen back to the Lord's Prayer. Let me just read this to you. In Matthew chapter 6, after that prayer, after the Lord's Prayer, in verse 14 it says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say it by the authority of Scripture. If you do not forgive other people, you are not a candidate for God to forgive you. And that is a big deal. And you wonder why Satan wants to keep us bitter, keep us resentful, keep us hanging on to unforgiveness and to the cycle of revenge. It's because he knows that our vertical relationship with God is compromised when we do not forgive horizontally. That's the reality. And this is not some obscure verse in Jeremiah hidden in the Bible somewhere. This is the words of Jesus Christ in red, saying, if you don't forgive, he says the exact same thing in Mark eleven twenty five. 25. The exact same thing. If you're not willing, if you won't forgive other people, you're not a candidate for God's forgiveness. And that's heavy, heavy stuff. And that's the, why I feel like this message is so important. Because there are, I, I know from experience, from being in ministry a long time, there are people who refuse to let go of the things that have happened in their lives. They refuse. And as hard as it is, as difficult as it is, I'm here today to say, that God wants to set people free from those things. God doesn't want you to live your life in resentment and in bitterness and angry at other people. It's impossible to not forgive and not be angry. It's impossible. They go hand in hand. And so you find someone who, who, who is unwilling to forgive, they are angry, at least under the surface, and at least when it comes to that thing. And so with the, the, the few minutes I have, and Mike can, Mike can come back up, here's what I'm going to ask us to do is just to bow your heads and, and close your own eyes and listen. There's nothing super spiritual about closing our eyes. It just creates space. And, and here's what I'm going to ask you to do is search your own heart. Some of you, when you heard this message, may have immediately known, hey, there's someone in my life I need to forgive, my father growing up or my uncle or a sister or something like that. But there may be others who feel like, Maybe something's going on and God just wants to reveal that. That's all I'm going to ask in, in the next 30 seconds is that you just pray and ask God, is there somebody that I need to forgive in my life? And then when God maybe reveals that or you feel something or, or a name or a situation or maybe an incident comes into your head, I'm going to encourage you. <clears throat> Take 15 seconds today and release that debt. That's all you have to do. You don't have to feel anything. You don't have to do anything other today than say, Father, I release them. I've been forgiven. I choose to forgive. And God, I ask you to come and heal my heart. I give this to you. I turn this over by faith to your justice to do what only you can do, God.
Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts today. Holy Spirit, do a work. Open our eyes. God, I pray for every every person in this room, God. All of us have had to forgive. All of us, some of us, God, have had awful things happen in our lives, things way beyond our control, things we never deserve. And God, I know that the enemy tries hard to get us to hang on to that, to get us to refuse, as the servant in Matthew 18 did, to forgive, to grab people and say, you owe me this. And God, I ask you right now, by your Holy Spirit, it's only by your power and grace that we can do this, God, to give us release from that, God, to free our hearts, to free our burdens, to free our lives. God, according to Romans 12, we turn it over to you, God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. God, we say, Lord, we place this in your hand. We choose to forgive today. And I say, God, that as this week goes on, as people are processing this in their own hearts and the enemy tries to come back with that and, and dig in those, those screws a little deeper, that, Lord, the, the words, I've released this, would come to mind, God. I've given this to God. Romans 12 would come to our minds, Father. And that, God, there would be freedom in the hearts of your people in this place, God. God, I pray for Radiant Church Ann Arbor. I thank you for Pastor Jeremy and these amazing leaders that he has around them, God, that are taking the good news of Jesus Christ to a city that desperately needs it, God. I pray you would continue to bring increase, bring favor, bring anointing into this room, God, into these services, into every single one of the vessels sitting in those chairs, God, so that, Lord, when they leave this place, God, they are filled, they're overflowing with the presence and power of God for their workplace, for school, for their relationships, God. May you be the center of every single part of our lives, Jesus. We surrender to you. Let freedom reign, God, in this place. We love you. We honor you. We choose you above ourselves. We take up our cross and we follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it.